You're listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. For more information, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk. If you could turn to 1 Peter 2, uh, Ruth's going to come on and do our Bible reading for us. The living stone and a chosen people. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built in a spiritual house, into a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Amen. Well, it's lovely to be with you this morning. If you've got that passage, do please keep it open. Uh, It's on page 1,218. Uh, That's going to be our main text for today. So, April the 18th, 2003, was a very special day for me. It was Good Friday, and that was the day that I became a Christian. Kathy, my wife, had gone to her parents' church down in Stoke, So I had a choice to make. I could either go to church by myself for the first time, or I could choose to do something else. Now, I can't tell you much about the sermon. It was a Good Friday sermon, so it would have been talking about the cross and sin and stuff like that. But I do remember having a deep sense of knowing I needed Jesus to forgive my sins. I remember going back to my flat where I lived in Liverpool, the world's greatest city, and I remember getting on my knees... And just praying, asking Jesus to forgive my sin, and saying that I wanted Jesus to be the Lord of my life. And by God's mercy and grace, I've been forgiven of my sin, adopted into God's family. I have the Holy Spirit living in me, and one day I will be with Jesus in the new creation. Hallelujah, and praise God for his grace. However, April the 18th, 2003, was not the start of my conversion story. My conversion was a gradual one. When I was a child, I remember going for a sleepover at my nan's. And my nan used to say this prayer, uh, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, look upon this little child. 
That's all I can remember. There's more to the prayer, but that's all I can remember. My nan would take us to church at Christmas. Uh, My nan sadly passed away shortly after I became a Christian, so I never really got the opportunity to talk about Jesus with her. But the good news is one day we will sing the praises of Jesus together. So my conversion was also a communal effort. What I mean by that is Mike Davis was my history teacher in secondary school. After I'd left school, once a month, I would go to Mike's for a game of pitch and put. We'd have some dinner together, and then he would drive me home. And the drive was about 15 minutes from Wallasey to Rock Ferry on the Wirral. And in that 15-minute period, he would share the gospel with me. He even took me and a friend to a home group once. Uh, But it wasn't a great experience because me and my friend, we weren't Christians and we just spent most of the evening laughing, especially during the prayers, because somebody fell asleep and was snoring really loud. And needless to say, we never got asked to go back. Uh, And although I became a Christian through an evangelistic sermon, God used people's evangelistic strengths to help me on my journey. So I've mentioned my nan's prayers Mike's hospitality, Kathy's invitations to church. God used a variety of evangelistic ways so that when I heard that message on April 18th, 2003, there was only one outcome, faith in Jesus and repentance of sins. So here we go. Be blown away by all this effort for this. Oh, hello. No, it ain't working. It doesn't matter. God doesn't want us to see the slides today. Just means you'll have to pay attention more. Okay. Uh, Now make no mistake, behind the gradual, communal, various conversion story stood a sovereign and gracious God. God supernaturally worked a miracle in my heart. When I became a Christian, it was because God opened my blind eyes by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the preaching of the gospel to trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. The question isn't, why did God wait 23 years to save me? The question is, why did God save me at all? And the answer is God's grace. We sing it, don't we? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. Amazing words. And if you're a Christian here this morning, then those four elements are more than likely in your conversion story too. Your conversion was gradual. Your conversion was communal. Your conversion had happened in a variety of different evangelistic ways. And most importantly, your conversion was supernatural. Now, these terms aren't mine. I got them from a fellow called Randy Newman. No, not that one. Okay, another one you're thinking, you got a friend in me. Not him. Anyway, that song will be in your head now the rest of the day. Uh, no, this Randy Newman is, a, is an evangelist in America, and he interviewed hundreds of newly converted Christians. They've been converted uh, Christians for a couple of years, and he listened to their stories as part of his Ph.D., And nearly 99% of the stories, it was gradual, communal, various, and supernatural. Now you might be thinking, what's the big deal? Well, the big deal for us at ECC is understanding how someone becomes a Christian helps us answer the question, who does evangelism? 
Who does evangelism? My prayer is as we look at this passage in 1 Peter 2, 4-12, we'll see that we all have a part to play in God's salvation plan. So why don't I pray and then we'll crack on. Father God, thank you for our own conversions. Father, when we think about them, they are so sweet to our souls. Thank you for the people that you brought into our lives. Thank you, Father, for the variety of ways we've come to faith. And thank you mostly and more importantly because you worked a miracle in our hearts. And we pray today you would encourage our souls, you would fill us with joy, and you would inspire us to reach the lost. In Jesus' name, amen. You'll be glad to know there's only two points today. Okay, the first point is stone and stones. And the second point is word and deed. Now I kicked myself because it was only this morning reading through my sermon. I thought I could have got another W there. I could have said word and works. But I'm not a stickler. I'm just going to let it slide. I'm going to say word and deed. Okay, it's not that important. I just probably won't sleep tonight. That's all. Anyway, before we get to them, let me remind you of what we've covered. This is the third sermon in a mini-series on evangelism. The first sermon was called, What is Evangelism? And we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. And we saw very clearly that evangelism is we preach Christ and God opens blind eyes. Okay, We preach Christ, God opens blind eyes. We also saw from that sermon how God does it. God does it by his mercy. That means that we have the privilege of joining him in evangelism. We do it by setting God's word out plainly. We don't distort it. We don't tamper with it. We do evangelism creatively because we are reaching different people in different places. And most importantly, we do evangelism prayerfully. We are asking and pleading and urging God to do a miracle in people's hearts. And then last week, as Katie's already alluded to, we looked at the question, why should we do evangelism? And we noted from different parts of the Bible that we are to have compassion like Christ because people are uh, helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd. We heard that we are to have confidence in Christ because the gospel is dynamite and can save anyone. And we are to have courage from Christ, remembering that his authority and presence is always with us wherever we go. And today, as I said, we're going to answer the question, who does evangelism? So if you've got the passage open, I'm just going to remind us of verses 4 and 5. Point 1, stone and stones. Um, And just a little aside, it's not on my notes. I once saw John Stones in Costa in Nutsford. That's a freebie. Here we go. Anyway, let's read verses 4 and 5. It says, as you come to him, the living stone... Rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, many years ago, I worked in a Christian school in the Czech Republic, in Prague. And part of that staff, there were people from different nationalities. So we had Scottish people, we had Spanish people, we of course had Czechs, we had Canadians, we had Americans, we had people from New Zealand, a vast array of different nationalities. 
And every Sunday, people would go to one of the many international churches in Prague, in the capital, and they'd go to the one that resembled the one most from home. So it was one day I was going for a walk with a guy from New Zealand. Now, I knew he didn't go to the same church as me, okay? Just because, like Sherlock Holmes, I went to that church, he wasn't there, so I thought, he doesn't go. Okay, see the process, quick as anything. Um, so I asked him, I said, which church are you going to? And he replied, I don't go to church. Now for me, that was, I'd only been a Christian for a couple of years. That was a completely new category. I'd never met someone who said they follow Christ and never went to church. When I asked him why he didn't go to church, he said, you know, the most important thing is my relationship with Jesus and I don't need to go to church for that. You probably heard something similar or you know people of the same ilk. Now I didn't know what to say. As I'd said, I've only been a, I'd only been a Christian for a couple of years and I wasn't the theological heavyweight that I am now. <laughs> and it's always the way, isn't it? You always think later, this is what I should have said if I got the opportunity again. So here we go. If you're watching... This is why you need to go to church. This is what I would have said. I would have started off with, bro, are you out of your mind? And then I would have done some, hit him with some biblical theology. I would have reminded him that God displays his character through people. God didn't just make Adam. He made Adam and Eve. God promised Abraham he'd make him into a great nation. God displays his character through Israel. Then, in the New Testament, God purchases the church through the blood of Christ. So we are saved by Jesus alone, but we're not meant to go alone. And maybe he wasn't still convinced. I would have took him to this passage. I would have said, look what this passage says. It says, after we come to him, the living stone, we are living stones built into a temple. I then would have done a bit of uh, jiu-jitsu, no, karate, whatever it's called. I would have dropped down to verse 9, and I would have said, look what God's doing. God is making us a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And still, he may have been wavering, because he's from New Zealand. He may have been thinking about Frodo and all those guys in the Shire. So I would have said, listen, this is it. Let me give you a killer illustration to hammer it home. I would have said, look, this is an easy way to see it. Mum and dad, they go to the orphanage, they get someone, they bring the boy home, they sit him at the table, at the dinner table, he's surrounded by new sets of brothers and sisters. I would have said, look, it's clear to be a son is not the same as being a brother and sister. Sonship comes first, but, but, I have to look at my notes now, but brotherhood follows next. Boom. See you next week at church. <laughs> Oof. Feel a weight of that there, can't you? Oh, oh, you're not messing about today. No jokes. Why does church matter? Why does church matter? Well, as it says in this passage here, verse 4, we come to Christ. We come to Christ. What does that mean? Well, it goes on to say in verse 4, this Christ, he was the one who was rejected by men. What does else does it say about Christ in that passage, in that verse? It says, chosen by God and precious to him. I don't know about you. I don't know what's precious to you. Maybe it's a family heirloom. Maybe it's your, you know, your Manchester City ticket because you went to the game that once. 
No, okay, that doesn't matter. Uh, maybe it's a photo of a loved one. Maybe what's precious to you is your children, depending on what day it is, I suppose, and how they are. But can I be very clear with you, and I mean this in a nice way. My kids, on their worst day, I would never let them die for any of you on your best day. And I don't mean, I'm not being mean. It's just because they're so precious to me. But did you hear what it says in the passage? God lets his precious son die at the hands of those who reject him. Why does he do that? Because God is making a people who are his special possession. Isn't that incredible? That's incredible. I don't know, when was the last time someone told you you were special? When was the last time you felt special? God is telling you right now this morning that you're always special to him. Why? Because he was willing to give up what was most precious to him for you and for me. Have you come to trust that Jesus died for your sins? Will you turn to Jesus right now and follow him as your Lord? If you do, or if you have, then you are now part of something special. That's one reason why church matters. Because you've been saved from your sin to be God's special possession. The second reason why church matters is the terms that Peter uses here in verse 9. They're not random terms. They've got so much Old Testament imagery running through them. Let me just pick out two. We're told that we are a royal priesthood. What on earth does that mean? Well, remember that we are part of Jesus' family. Jesus is the great king that was promised to David, whose kingdom would be everlasting. And because Jesus is the king, we are part of his royal family. Furthermore, in the Old Testament, the priest stood in the middle of God and humanity. The priest was appointed to teach people God's ways. And the priest was to bless the people in the name of the Lord. Church, we are, who we are means that we stand in the middle between God and the rest of humanity. We are to teach those around us God's ways. And we are to bless the nations. And we do all this by the king's authority. And furthermore, he goes on to tell us, Peter, that we're a holy nation. What does that mean? Well, God chose to be holy, or sorry, he chose Israel to be holy. That means that they were to follow God and not be like the people around them. Now, if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that time and time again, Israel wants to be like the people around them and constantly reject God. We, the church, are called to be holy like the nation of Israel was called to be holy. That means we're not to love the things of this world and its practices. Instead, we are to be distinctive, we are to be set apart, and we are to be holy, living for God. But friends, are we in danger of repeating Israel's practice? You see, if we're being honest, most of us don't like to be different. It's easier to blend in. So the danger to compromise is ever present. But listen to what this passage says. This passage says that we are holy. 
He has made us a holy nation. So therefore we live as holy people. So do you see, when we come to this question, who does evangelism? The answer is, verse 4, those who come to Christ, they are the people, God's special possession. They are God's royal priesthood who declare him. And they are also God's holy nation who live in a way that show God's ways. So we, the church, are to be the people God has chosen us to be. Now you might say, okay, Chris, we keep going on about theory, keep talking up here. Bring it down to day to day. Okay, what does this mean day to day? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's where we're up to now, okay? And this is our second point, word and deed. Now I know, I don't know everybody, but I know most people here, your lives are crazy busy. Crazy busy. You've got work, you've got family, you've got kids, you've got friends, you've got hobbies, you've got church. The list goes on and on. Now what I don't want you to think is evangelism is another thing that you need to add to the list of things to do. Okay, because if you think evangelism is a thing that you need to add, then you'll never do it. You'll never have time to do it. Or when you do do it, you'll resent it because it's stopping you from doing something else. Okay, what this passage is teaching us is we don't put evangelism into a time slot, but intentionally we see all of life as a chance to join in God's work. Well, let me put it another way. You don't need to change your schedule to do evangelism. You just have to do evangelism as you go about your schedule. Okay, you don't need to change your schedule to do evangelism. You just need to do evangelism as you go about your schedule. You might be thinking, really? Oh, yes, really. Look, (laughs) we've seen that coming to Christ means that we're part of God's people. You cannot be a lone Christian. You are the church, and the church is you. As the church, we are royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. This is who we are. Whether you're at home, whether you're at work, whether you're family, whether you're friends, whether you're doing a hobby, you never stop being the church. Now look at what verse 9 tells us. Because we are the church, because we are those groups of people that we just mentioned, look at what we're told. You are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's why he's made us a people, so we would declare his praises. Okay, do you notice it didn't say, he's made us a people, so the evangelist declares his praises. No, it's saying, as a people, we declare his praises. And why do we do it? Well, verse 10 tells us, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Friends, we get to talk about what Jesus has done, because now we're a people who've received mercy. Before we came to Christ, we were not a people because we'd not received God's mercy. Now, there's been a constant theme going through these um, sermons the last three weeks. And it's this, it's repeated, but it's the essential truth. Here we go. If you make a note, write this one down. If our hearts are grateful to God for allowing his precious son to die for us, then we will declare that to others. So if our hearts are grateful to God for allowing his precious son to die for us, then we will declare that to others. 
Evangelism doesn't happen until our hearts are excited by Jesus. And this can't be forced. No matter who is telling you from the front, okay? It cannot be forced. It needs the reading of God's word. It needs prayer, the Holy Spirit, the fellowship of God's people. It needs God's people gathering together on Sundays so it can be re-energized to be God's people Monday to Saturday. And often we try and be the church without gathering as the church. Now you might say, well, that's not for me because I'm here today, aren't I? So of course the gathering is really important and praise God that you're here today. But just imagine a car. A car needs petrol, doesn't it? Probably weekly, if you're doing the miles I was doing. Weekly, you fill up and the car's ready to go again. That's what it's like for Christians. You need filling up in order to be God's people in the world. And that's why Sunday gatherings are such a priority. So the question to you is, do you prioritize? Uh, Again, amen that you're here today. But sometimes it feels as if we kind of fit church in, don't we, sometimes? If I've got nothing else to do on Sunday, I'll go to church. No, 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 no. It's we go to church and everything else waits. Okay, because this is so important. Being God's people is so important. We cannot do it in our own strength. We need help. And God gives us the Sunday gathering to help us. Now, this is important to know because we want to make the Sunday gathering as accessible and welcoming as we can, especially to new people. We want everybody to, to, to understand what we're saying. Okay, you might not understand it fully in here, but to understand it here. But, but make no mistake that what happens here on a Sunday is not a light thing. It's not a light thing when we gather together as God's people. Okay? <clears throat> It's not a light thing because every time we meet on a Sunday, God is working in us and God is working through us. Again, I can't stress the importance of being filled if we're going to go out and do evangelism as part of our everyday schedule. Let me just finish with verses 11 and 12. I want to try and show you. So, so far we've thought about the word. We're to declare his praises. Okay, what does it say about our deeds? Let's have a look at verses 11 and 12. Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now you might be thinking, okay, how can I do evangelism as I go about my schedule? Let me introduce you to evangelism's cousin. Okay, he's called, or she's called, pre-evangelism. Now, as someone in our home group said, it sounds like a a disease, pre-evangelism. It's not, okay, let me explain it to you. You see, evangelism, what we've said, is a very precise message. That is that Jesus died for our sins, he rose again, and that we are to repent and believe in him. That's evangelism. That's what we are to do when we declare in verse 9. Pre-evangelism refers to the many things that pave the way for that message. So again, going back to my conversion story, my nan's prayers, Mike's hospitality, Kathy's invitations to church, they're all examples of pre-evangelism. 
Those things didn't make me a Christian, but God was using them to bring me to that Good Friday service back in 2003. Other things we could say are pre-evangelism, making a meal for someone, doing apologetics, feeding the poor, building wells, going for a walk, organizing an event, praying for evangelistic opportunities, looking after someone's child, talking to a new person at work. It's basically anything that God can use as a way for the gospel to be brought home. Now can you see how evangelism is all your life? Again, I'm not asking you to add evangelism to busy lives. I'm asking you to see that evangelism is part of our everyday lives. So see the abstaining from sinful desires, as it says in verse 11. See the living such good lives as pre-evangelism. We are to be the church to pave the way for the message of the gospel. God is using all of us to grow his special possession, his people. Now, this is a little warning, okay, a little warning, because some people might be thinking, well, I'm just going to stop at pre-evangelism. Pre-evangelism sounds nice, it sounds non-confrontational, it sounds more comfortable, because I don't need that awkwardness of talking about Jesus. So I'll I'll do a lot of pre-evangelism, that's going to be me. But remember, we're all, so we're called to be a holy nation, aren't we? But we're called to be a royal priesthood. We are called to declare his praises as well. But this is going to be different depending on our strengths and our characters and our personalities. Let me explain by using a sport illustration, but this one is a netball one. See what I'm doing? I'm branching out. Now, in netball, there are seven players. Impressed, aren't you? Goal shooter, goal attack, wing attack, centre, goal defence, goalkeeper, etc. All of them have different roles. But we would all agree that when they are on the court, they are all playing netball. Yeah, they're all playing netball, different roles. In evangelism, there's different roles we can play. So there's those who preach sermons. There's those who present the gospel through drama. There's those who have got this ability to turn any conversation into a gospel one. There's people who lead evangelistic Bible studies. There's people who want to attach a link to their Facebook page of an evangelistic video. There's people who talk about Jesus doing door-to-door work. There's people who give out tracts. There's street pastors. There's testimony sharers. There's people who tweet John 3.16. If anyone's uh, of a certain age don't know what tweeting is, ask me later. I can explain to you. Being cheeky there, no, sorry. Uh, all of us are on the court playing, but we have different roles to play. We are called to be the church, okay, and to do evangelism. But again, how that looks is going to be different depending on the way God has wired you. Now you might be thinking, well, what's your role, Chris, in all of this? I'm like Kenny Dagleish back in 1986, is an old reference. I'm the, I'm the coach. I'm the player coach. So that means that I'm on the court, okay, but I'm also on the sidelines cheering you on and, you know, encouraging you to keep playing. You'd be thinking, you're more coach than playing at the minute, aren't you, with that leg, the effort some people go to. Um, anyway, let's just round this up. In conclusion... Our own conversion stories provide the foundation for our evangelism. We don't lose patience. We don't give up hope with others because we remember our story was a gradual one. 
We don't believe the lie that God can't use us because we remember how different people were used in our own story. We don't think that God can't use our weak efforts because our own story highlights the different ways God uh, paves the way for the gospel to come into our lives. And we don't doubt God's power to save because our own story tells us that we were once not a people, but because of God's mercy and the death of his precious son, we are now his people, his special possession. So church, let us be the people God has called us to be, doing evangelism as we go about our schedules. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this passage. Thank you that in it we are called your special possession that has happened because of the death of your precious son. Father, we often skip over stuff like this. or I just pray for a moment of silence now where that truth, the death of your precious son, to make us your special possession would sink deep into our hearts and would affect us greatly today. May it not just be head knowledge, may it be heart knowledge that leads to us going out proclaiming the glories of his name. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to the podcast from Emmanuel Community Church. To find out more about us, go to emmanuelcc.co.uk.